that's when he was uh, doing it. So, yeah, okay, six. <coughs> and he lost a tooth while we were there, and he came to me. He was very concerned, very concerned that the tooth fairy was not going to know where he was and that he was not going to get his, you know, deserving money for his tooth that had come out. And, he's, and I'm telling him, oh, they, listen, they know all about that. They're going to figure that out. And he, but he was not accepting my answer. He was just kept questioning you know, uh, I don't know. I don't think this is going to happen, Dad. How is, he gonna, how is the tooth fairy going to know? And I finally looked at him in the eye and said, Ben, I am the tooth fairy. <laughs> <laughs> and his eyes got this big. He goes, what? You're the tooth fairy? I said, yes, I am the tooth fairy. And uh, he goes, he looked at me, his very incredulous look, and he said, well, how do you, how do, you do How do you go all over the world and put money and, and I said, Ben, there are thousands of, of uh, tooth fairies. I'm just one, and I have a small group of people that I, I care for, and you're one of them. <laughs> so I assure you that you will get money under your pillow tonight. <laughs> and I, that was one of the greatest I am statements I ever made. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's better than I am Iron Man or any of the other ones. So, um, so uh, you know, that's fun uh, to think about these things. We've been in the series in John, speaking about uh, doing the I am statements and the signs, seven signs, seven I am statements. And I was actually, when I, they asked me to preach, I got to do the first sign, which is water to wine. I got to speak on that transformative uh, action of Jesus to show that the kingdom is more like a wedding than a war. That it's about intimate relationship rather than conflict. And, uh, and he, he showed it abundantly in that wedding uh, scene. And I actually, after that, <laughs> I don't know, I'm a pastor, been a pastor for, for decades now. Uh, and, um, uh, but the opportunity to preach doesn't come up as often for me now. I'm a shepherd first. I'm a teacher. I'm a preacher. I love all three of them. And uh, I can interchange it. It's hard to imagine doing one without the other. To be able to pastor without preaching or to preach without pastoring. We need all these, these things together in our calling. So I actually prayed, God, I would like to preach again. <laughs> Thinking that, that it would take an act of God to do it because I figured they already had said who was preaching uh, when and I already had lined it up. But I actually wanted to preach on the second, the second sign which was also in Cana. I said, Lord, I'd love to follow this up and do the second one that's in Cana that I just preached. And Alvaro got to preach on that one. So uh, he was overlooked. And then, and then they came to me just uh, last week or the week before and asked me to preach on this message. And I'm saying that because it was an answer, it's an answer to prayer because I prayed the right prayer. I was praying for the wrong passage. <laughs> because this passage lines... It lines up with the first one. This is the first, the first one I got to preach on, and this is the seventh sign. So they're bookends of what happened with these seven signs. And I had uh, Monica read the passage of what happens just after Lazarus is raised from the dead. And uh, I'm going to try. I feel like I'm uh, technology. There we go. This might work. 
I'm, I'm overprepared technology-wise because I was afraid something might not work. So I have my computer up here trying to do this and that. But um, <clears throat> I'm talking about death to life today. And uh, I had Monica read the passage of what happened just after Lazarus was raised from the dead. And in that passage, here's what, here's what they say. The chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. Now, there were more than seven signs performed. Matter of fact, sometimes he would get done with one of the signs uh, John was saying is one of the seven signs. And then they would immediately ask, give us another sign. They were always wanting something else as far as, as, far as that goes. They were just looking for more signs. And so they're coming along here. Let it, this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Now, this passage clearly states that they saw the raising of Lazarus as a sign. They clearly thought that there was something about this sign that was saying... Pay attention to what happened, and they were paying attention. Matter of fact, this, this passage tells us what this, what this sign caused, all right? And I don't want to spend a lot of time in this passage about it. I chose the, this, the reading of the passage so that you would know that in their minds a sign had occurred. There was no doubt in their mind that a sign had happened, and they were paying attention to it. Now, this passage is informative, it's inter interesting, but it's not transformative. We're not going to spend a lot of time looking at these details of what happened after that with them plotting to kill Jesus. But we're going to focus on what this sign is and what this sign means to us. What was it that was so, that happened, what was it, what was it about raising Lazarus when you think, well, that, Ray, it's raising somebody from the dead, you know, that's a pretty pretty awesome thing. But there was other signs that were pretty awesome that they didn't get, they didn't come away, hey, that was a sign. You know, they're always saying, hey, that was a sign, but maybe we need another sign. But in this sign, they're done with signs. They're not asking for more signs. They said, this is the sign, um, and uh, now something has to be done about this sign. This, this sign caused something. It caused a greater rift between those who believe and who, those who don't believe. It caused the leadership to shake in their boots, saying this man's a serious contender and we can't allow this to happen. Our position, our nation is in jeopardy, they were thinking, because they didn't understand who the Messiah was and what he was actually coming here to do. And they were unwilling to bend to this sign. So instead, they were going to take the sign out. They not only plotted to kill Jesus, they plotted to kill Lazarus as well. They wanted to put an end to this sign. They wanted to get this sign out of people's minds. Now, we're going to jump into what the sign is because I'm hoping that this is going to be transformative for you and not just information. I'm hoping you're going to be able to see uh, what, what's so big about this that applies to us as well? This, uh, let's go next. Jesus said to her, this is from the text when Jesus is raising Lazarus from the dead. The seventh sign and the fourth sign, which is um, the feeding of the 5,000, are the only signs that are actually tied to one of the I am statements. There's only two signs that actually have an I am statement that goes along with it. 
So uh, with the feeding of the 5,000, he comes after the, after the sign is done, after the miracle of feeding the 5,000, he comes and says, I am the bread of life. And it was very divisive to the people. So many people didn't understand that. Disciples walked away from Jesus in that conversation. And uh, so, uh, you know, we're not going to spend time on that, but that's, that's how divisive it was, though. It was another sign that created a rift between those who believe and those who don't believe. And so the second, this last sign also has an I am statement uh, reserved that goes along with it. And it's said here by Jesus. But in this, it, the order's reversed. He gives the statement first, then he does the miracle. He does the statement first. And I'm saying that because I just think that's interesting. I have no idea what it means. <laughs> but it's interesting. All right? But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Then he asked, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And uh, to be honest, Martha kind of skirts the question. I believe you're the Messiah. (laughs) You know, answers that way. Doesn't answer directly about this. We know that you're the Messiah, and at the end, everything's going to be all right. We know that. But Jesus is asking something greater here. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. That's the resurrection promise. That's resurrection promise. But God wants to give us more than a resurrection promise. He wants to give us life. Life. And he says, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That's the life part. It's the resurrection and the life. Did you know of all the I am statements, only the statement I am the life is repeated twice? Jesus says it twice. And you know what? When we talk about less is I am the life. Josh did a great job last week. I would recommend everybody to go listen to that message last week. Oh, my gosh. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But even Josh did a little bit on the life dwelt on the truth and the way most of the time. You know why? Because truth and the way are more solid ground to stand on and preach. They're more tangible. Jesus is more like a rock, okay? He says, you can build your house on me. I'm a foundation. You can build your house on me. There's something tangible about Jesus. He's in the flesh. He's something we can grasp, hug, hold on to. But the life... What is the life? And we're going to tie this to the spirit of God. The life is like wind. How do I grasp the wind? It would be like if I had rocks up here representing Jesus and a fan over here representing the spirit. You know, we can feel the, and Jesus actually says it in John 3, you can feel the effects of the wind, but how do you grab it? How do you grab hold of it? It's easier for us to talk about the rocks than the wind. But God wants us to know about the wind, wants to know about the life. There is a life that God is leading us to, leading us into, inviting us into. And I believe we have been sold a life far less than the one that God wants us to be living in. I'm going to take us back. I'm going to take a little journey. There was something about this sign. What made up a sign? What What would be a sign Uh, to a Jewish believer. 
It would be something that happened that reminds them of something in the Old Testament. It would be a sign, hey, that reminds me of this story in the Old Testament. Something preached in the past is coming true in the present. There's a sign happening here. And, and uh, red flags are going off in my head. This reminds me of a story. There reminds me of something going on. And so I, I want us to take this little journey through the Word of God as we build up to this sign, okay? And I want to start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, 9. Because I want to talk about the kind of life, the spirit life that God intends to have for us. And it started coming to the light after the captivity of Israel, of Judah. They were taken in captivity to Babylon. And here's the deal. I picture it like this. I picture Jeremiah and all the children of Israel going out in captivity to Babylon. And they're sitting there thinking, what went wrong? We had the temple. We had the city. We had the king. We had, we had it all. It's like we have the presidency, the Congress, you know, the House of Representatives. We had, we had everything we needed to get our job done. He's saying, we had everything. We, we have the word of God. We have the special blessing of God. We have the covenant of God. How in the world are we sitting here in exile in Babylon? What has happened? And Jeremiah, this is when we first he starts looking at our hearts. And he starts coming to the conclusion. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. Jeremiah mentions the heart more than any other author is besides the Psalms and Proverbs. Psalms and Proverbs are given to encourage our heart and to instruct our, our heart. So they, they talk about the heart a lot in those things. But Jeremiah, no other book comes close to talking about the heart. And he always is calling out the children of Israel being stubborn of heart. You stubborn people, your stubborn hearts, that's why we're here. And he looks at it and he makes this statement. My, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Beyond cure. Who can understand it? He said, we're sitting here because our hearts, there's something wrong with our hearts. And not even the covenants of God, the temple of God, me desiring to do what is right, me desiring to try to follow, has kept me in God's, uh, in God's plan. Because I have a heart that's constantly strained. I have a heart that desires other things. I have a heart that wants to go in other directions. And it's deceitful. It deceives me into thinking this is the right path. But, it, but it's also incurable, he's saying. We have a great problem. There is something wrong with our hearts, and we can't cure it ourselves. No sacrifices are going to take it away. No, no, uh, no promises, no... No erasing of it, no washing is going to take it away. It's going to be, it's just that we have a heart that's beyond cure. But something happens here at this point. Jeremiah, later on in the book, starts prophesying about something happening. Listen to what he says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to, any, to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. He starts promising that God is going to do, he starts prophesying, I'm going to say, that God's going to do something in the hearts of men that's going to change things. 
He's after the hearts of men. And he's going to do something that hasn't been done before, which is actually write the law of God on our hearts and, and have them in our minds in this way. Now, we don't get much clarity there. Ezekiel is another uh, exile prophet. He starts prophesying the same thing. Listen to what he says. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone, your incurable heart. God's not trying to resurrect your heart. It can't be resurrected. It's stone. There's no life there at all. It's not flesh. He can't resurrect it. He's got to give you a new heart. And so he goes, I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. My spirit in you. This is new. This hasn't happened before. This is why when Jesus talks about the least in the kingdom is greater than anyone that in the past, it's because we have something that the others, that any Old Testament saint never had. David didn't have it. Abraham didn't have it. Adam didn't have it. None of them had it. We have something that they don't have. The actual spirit of God in us. And he prophesies it here. I will put my spirit, it hasn't happened yet. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And right after that, he, um, I was afraid of that. <laughs> I got it here. Right after that, the next chapter, that's chapter 36. Does anybody know what chapter 37 is? Dry bones. Dry bones. The valley of the dry bones. Why? Because he's going to illustrate what he wants to do in people's lives. And this is what it says. The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life and I will, I will, at, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin and I will put breath in you and you will come to life and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone, but we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves, what did he do with Lazarus? 
He opened the grave and bring you up from them. And I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I am the Lord and have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Oh my gosh. What in the world? There, and I want you to notice something. The resurrection wasn't enough. He resurrected these dry bones, but it wasn't until the breath went in and that life happened. The breath was the, was the second thing. The resurrection, we cannot deny, is the most pivotal thing in the history of mankind. But it was what the, what the resurrection allowed to happen after that, which was significant to us, that the Spirit of God could come into us. Now let's go into John and see how this is building, how God is, and John's making this case. In John chapter 1, we have the testimony of John the Baptist. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who baptized, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. Listen, when he's talking about the Spirit and baptism, he's talking new covenant language. He's talking about the Spirit of God coming as Ezekiel promised, as Jeremiah promised, prophesied. He's saying this is about to happen. John said, I'm looking for a guy that is actually baptized with the Spirit. The Spirit comes down and remains, but he's actually going to also baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Then he moves on. We have the first sign at the wedding of Cana. The Lord replied to them, I am sending, okay. In the wedding of Cana, we looked at the prophecy of Joel and how the, the making of the wine was a sign again that the Spirit was coming. Because in Joel it says, the Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And we talked about that when I preached on the, on the, on the water to wine, how this was a sign to them that the Spirit is coming, the Spirit is bringing new life, new wine into this place. We go on. In John chapter 3, he's meeting with Nicodemus. We didn't preach on this passage. It wasn't a sign or an I am statement in this passage, but this is what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. This is new covenant language. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You're, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And he's telling Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. There's something that has to be radically changed in your life. And it's around the Spirit of God. Then he moves to the woman at the well. We didn't talk about this passage either because there's no I am statement. and It's not considered a sign in the book of John. And I'm really surprised because I thought Jesus would say, I am the living water. Wouldn't you think he would say, I am the living water? Wouldn't it be an easy statement to make at this point as he's talking to this woman at the well? But listen to what he says. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would, ask, you would have asked him and he would have given you love. Jesus is not saying, I am the living water. He's saying, I'm the one that can give it to you. It is a gift that I'm going to give to you. And he says, and then he goes on. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
said, the, the gift I'm giving you, the water that I'm going to give you is going to bring life to you. Then he goes on, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So she asked the question, where should we worship? And Jesus said, it's not about that anymore. It's going to be about, are you a person of worship? Are you a person who has the spirit of God that can actually worship? That's going to be the question going forth. Not where do I worship, but am I a person of worship because the spirit of God and truth is dwelling in me? Then he moves on in chapter 5. We didn't talk about chapter 5. Well, there's a sign in chapter 5, but then Jesus gives this discourse after that. And he says, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. He goes on to say, very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. For he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to, to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. And listen to me. Do you hear the voice of Ezekiel in these words? Do you, do you feel the wind of the Spirit blowing through the Scriptures as he's coming to, a, to some point that, that Jesus is leading us to? He goes on in John chapter 7. He's at the Feast of Tabernacles. But we didn't talk about this in, the, in our series. He says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he stands up at a feast. All who are thirsty, living water. I am not the living water. I can give you the living water. Amen. We'll find later, you know, because of the relationship of the Trinity, the Spirit of God is Christ, it says later. But in this, he's trying to distinguish the two differences. I'm coming to give you resurrection, and I'm going to give you the Spirit that's going to give you life. Amen. And he says the dead are going to hear. And, the, and we hear these overtones all through the book of John. He's leading us somewhere. Then we get to the resurrection, to the raising of Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. We've already looked at that one. Then we move on to uh, John chapter 14 after that. See, John is teaching us. He's the only one that's teaching us about the role of the Spirit in our lives. And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Josh talked about this last week. Go listen to that message. I, 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 uh, I highly recommend it. Then he goes on in John chapter 14 through 17 and does a whole upper room discourse on the Spirit of God and how the Spirit of God is going to lead you in truth and he's going to be your comforter and he's going to be with you and he's going to be the way that I'm going to dwell in you and always be with you and never leave you. I'm going to be in your hearts. And he does that whole discourse. And then we get to the actual resurrection. Lazarus wasn't the actual resurrection. It was the sign of what the resurrection was going to be. And he says, and Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't hold me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. She's the first one to come and says the resurrection has happened. The thing, the sign has come to fruition. We're no longer looking for signs. It has happened now. The resurrection has occurred. But listen, right after that, just a couple more verses. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands inside. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's where, God, that's where Jesus was going. He said, I'm going away so that I can come and dwell with you, but also to send my spirit. Where do you have to go? I have to go to the cross. Then I have to go through to the grave. And then I'm going to raise up. And then I'm going to give you what I promised you all along, to put the spirit in your hearts so that you can be a, a water, refreshing water to the world around you, to be all that God has called you to be. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the momentum of John's leading us all the way through it from the testimony of John the Baptist till this time at the end. And, and right after this, Thomas wasn't there. And he comes in later and Thomas said, I won't believe until I see. And Jesus comes in and reveals himself, his resurrection to him. And, and I assume breathes on him as well. But, that, but Thomas is an example of us. Those of us that aren't going to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection, he says, blessed are those who never see what you saw, but receive it the same. We receive everything that those apostles received at that time. We are breathed in the breath of life. It's not just resurrection, it's life that has been given to us. Now, I'm about done <laughs> What kind of life are you living? See, this wasn't supposed to come up all at once, but <laughs> I wanted to know something. What kind of life are you living? This is what God wants to ask. I don't know how to describe the life. I don't know. We, I can't put hands on what that life. I know it looks different from me as it does for you, and Patty lives it differently than I do, and, and we all are, are living in the spirit, not in some cookie-cutter way, but in some spirit, life-giving, creative way that God's doing this new life in each of us. But how are we living it? Are you living the life God intended you to live or the life that was handed to you? See, there's, I think there's like three ways you can approach the, the Christian life, which we've approached the Christian life. One of it is by trying to live it under the law. I came from that system, trying to live it under the law. And they handed me a Christian life that was supposed to be obedient, that was supposed to be set apart from the world, separate from the world, so much that we didn't have a testimony with the world. We were all just kept in one package. I had to, ha honest, this is the longest I've ever had my hair because of that culture, all right? You had, you had to keep it short. 
you know, and uh, uh, we had to wear tie on Sundays. We had to do all these things. We had to jump through these hoops, and we tried to live the Christian life under the law, and I'm telling you, that sorely misrepresents the life God wants to give us. And thankfully, you have been rejecting that kind of life. But the problem is, what kind of life are you accepting in its stead? Because the other way is, are you living a life God intended you to live or a life you've created for yourself? And that's living this life in the flesh. Meaning I, I'm receiving what God has given me, but I'm going to live it out in the flesh instead. I'm going to live it out my way. I am going to use the freedom God has given me to serve myself. I'm going to live without condemnation and do whatever I want to do. And our, that's our favorite verse. It's our mantra. There is no condemnation in Christ. And so we want to live that way. I can do whatever I want to do as a Christian. We live a life, the Christian life, and it sorely misrepresents the life God wants us to have. And that's why people are rejecting that. What is the difference between you and the rest of the world? What is the distinguishing characteristic of a person who has the Spirit of God in them? So the last question, here's what the Spirit of God, this is what this life is. The Spirit of God living in our new hearts, renewing our minds, and transforming our behavior. And that looks different. We're all wrestling with different things, right? It's going to look different in many ways to all of us. But I want you to know at the core of your being, the very core of your Christian life, you have a new heart. It's not a resurrected heart. It's a new heart. God gave you something new. And the promise of resurrection, he's promising that our bodies will be resurrected. Our hearts he makes new immediately, and he puts his spirit in there. And I want you to live. I want you to live. I want us to live in that reality, in that identity. I am the resurrection and the life. You've embraced the resurrection. Have you embraced the life, the spirit of God? Is he making things new in you? That's the question you should ask today. I'm going to ask the uh, whoever's doing the song <laughs> and the prayer team. Can we all stand? Go ahead and let the prayer team come up. And as, as they're singing, if you want to respond, want prayer, have any questions, listen, I, would lo I love talking about this. This is a journey. This has been a late journey in my life. From about 50 on, God's been showing me these things. And it's something I would love to pass on to as many people as I can. Um, some truth. Not that I have a quarter on it or anything like that. I just know that the newness that God did in me in the last 10 to 13 years almost is greater than he did the, the first 30. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. So let's sing together.